Welcome to the Now Leading Podcast, hosted by the Northwest District LCMS. We bring a Lutheran point of view to conversations on the art of leading as a follower of Jesus, through valleys, over peaks, and on the waves, following His lead in the great Northwest. Welcome to the Now Leading Podcast. I am excited to share with you another interview from the Now Start Network with Reverend Kyle Blake. He's going to be talking with Todd Rayski, a cultivator for the Now Start Network, about restarts and listening to the people in his community in really refreshing ways. I'm not going to steal any of their thunder. So without any further ado, here is this wonderful conversation between Todd Rayski, a cultivator for the Now Start Network, and with Reverend Kyle Blake. All right, welcome everybody. Uh, this is Mike Von Baron with the Now Start Network, and you're with the Now Start Network too. So we're glad you're here and on our call today, as we're together with Now Start cultivator Todd Rayski, and also with Kyle Blake. And you're going to get introduced to him in just a minute or two here by Todd. Uh, we're recording this call, so some of you may be listening to this uh, weeks or months after our call, but we hope you get something encouraging out of it that encourages you in reaching out to the community with the gospel of Jesus. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Todd Rayski. He's a former missionary in Alaska and now serving in Monroe, Washington, uh, but every bit as much of a missionary in Monroe as he was in Alaska. And not only that, but travels around the world and still doing mission work from the time that he spent in Asia years ago. And so, uh, Todd, if you want to tell us a little bit more about that before you introduce Kyle, that'd be great. But we're, we're just so thrilled to have you as a cultivator in the Now Start Network helping us and giving us encouragement and uh, leading people in what it means to start new missions for the sake of Jesus. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Todd. Well, thank you. You know, I'm on a COVID hiatus from uh, traveling because of uh, China and the Philippines are still requiring a couple week quarantine. So I can't travel uh, to Asia, but I look forward to doing that again as soon as uh, we're able to do it. Uh, but I'd really like to focus today on, on Kyle. Um, it's a, a real blessing that Kyle's going to be here with us. And it's going to be a lot of fun, I think, talking with him. I've talked with Kyle, got to know him through Lutherans, um, Lutherans uh, for Racial Justice. I, I don't know if I said that right. Um, but uh, we've been trying to find ways to help our synod and, and help us as we work to uh, help people to understand the issues around uh, racial justice and how we can be a part of the solution. Um, so I, that, that's been a real good connection with Kyle. Uh, but then I started asking who would be good to have on a call to talk about how we can reach out in our communities. And Kyle's name came up a couple of times, so I really wanted to bring him, him on. But before we talk to Kyle, let's take a minute and talk to, to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have the time to talk today, uh, that we're going to talk about how we can reach out and love the people that you put in front of us. I pray that as our conversation goes today, we'll all be encouraged, encouraged to form those relationships, to reach out, uh, to connect in our communities in ways that we haven't thought of before, uh, so that more and more people can know of your incredible love. Bless our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Kyle, I said a little bit about Kyle before the prayer, and um, Kyle, people don't know very much about you, so I'm just going to let you give yourself a little introduction. Tell us about yourself, uh, who you are personally, who you are as a pastor, maybe what motivates you, and do it in about 30 seconds. No, you can have a couple 30 minutes. seconds. All right. Uh, no, just go. <laughs> no. Um, so my name is Kyle Blake. I'm a pastor in Long Beach, California. A um, little bit about me, a little history. Born and raised in Houston, Texas. Uh, went through Lutheran education all but two years, 
Uh, in fact, I joke, I say my high school diploma, my, my undergrad and my graduate all say Concordia on them. So um, been a little bit in, in the Lutheran world, like, like Johnny Cash, I've been everywhere, man. So I was, uh, went to Concordia Seward uh, for my undergrad, was a DCE, did uh, my internship in Tucson, two years in NorCal, uh, eight years in Orange County, four years in Fort Worth. While I was in, in Orange County, I uh, applied and got into the CMC program. Uh, which Dan Hughes and Eric Bowman are both graduates of as well. Uh, and so I went through that and finished that up in 2015 while I was in Fort Worth and got a phone call from a guy named Dominic Rifkin, who is now the, the ministry or was he the mission facilitator for the Pacific Southwest District. And they were wanting to replant a church in downtown Long Beach. And so talked to my wife, prayed about it and moved our, our two boys and myself to downtown Long Beach. And I've been here for six years. Um, and, uh, so that's a little bit, I mean, that's the, that's the general overview. We can get into a lot of specifics on that, but, uh, personally, I love to connect to, to Jesus and to the community and to, then to connect the two of those together as well, uh, to help other people realize that they have value and discover those gifts and use them for the sake of the kingdom. Uh, like I said, I've, I'm married, got a wife of 19 years, Kendall. She is a kindergarten teacher at Bethany Lutheran school. And then I have a Two boys, Asher, who is 12, and Zebulon, who is six. And uh, the, the different names are because I did youth ministry for about 15 years. My wife was a teacher, and it's kind of hard to name your kids any other names when uh, when you every year like, oh, yeah, I know that kid. Nope, nope, can't <laughs> do that one. I know that kid, too. So um, so that's a little bit about me, just a real quick overview. That's good. That was, that was good. So we're going to talk today just about engaging the community so, so what are you doing in in your ministry now to to engage the community i mean that sounds like a fancy thing but but what does it mean to... so so um so when i came to long beach uh six years ago i was called to help a church replant in downtown long beach this church uh was planted in 1905 and uh in in the downtown urban area as you know as the downtown grew it grew and then about in the 60s uh, there was this thing where a lot of folks ended up moving out to the suburbs for a variety of reason. And ever since then, the church had been kind of in this downward trajectory because they haven't really engaged the community as much as, as they could and or should. And, and I'm, that's not blame. That's not, you know, but so my job has been uh, to, to figure out how to engage the community. Now, I also, um, I am technically the pastor at two different churches. Um, I'm also the associate pastor of community and connection at Bethany Lutheran which is in the suburb here in Long Beach. And the reason why I'm a pastor at two churches now is because we're trying to get these two churches, the urban church and the suburban church to merge to be one church and two campuses. Um, so that way we can both um, shepherd and, and care for those who were kind of raised in your typical church traditions, um, as well as reach out and be on mission for um, those who aren't. Um, and so, so the way of engaging the community is two different ways, depending on the congregation where I'm at. The urban way is one way, the suburban way is another. Um, and so what we've been doing and what I've been trying to lead folks on are in the urban way, uh, where it's very dense. There's about 100,000 people within a one mile radius of our church. So it, it, side note, when I'm at a pastor's conference and people say, how many people are in your church? I go, 100,000. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, there's 100,000 people within a one mile radius. And, and really trying to help the, the folks downtown to realize it's more of a parish mentality. Um, it's not the folks that come to our church that are members, that are just members and that's who we seek to serve, but we seek to serve the community around us, whether they attend our church or not. 
Um, and so as a result of that, what we do downtown is we actually walk the streets a lot. Um, we walk the streets, we just are present, we are visible. Um, and then we, we actually do what's called a prayer walk, uh, or we, pre-COVID, we were doing prayer walks every Sunday morning before church, where we would just go out and we'd walk the community. And as we encounter people, we would just say, hey, we're walking and praying uh, for the community. Would you like to join us in doing that? Is there anything specific we can pray for you about? Um, and, and then we would, you know, pray for them or we'd not pray for them. They'd either say yes or no, or sometimes they would say yes. And we'd say, well, do you want us to pray for you here? Or do you want us to keep walking and pray? Um, so really kind of non-confrontational praying. And uh, they're like, we just keep walking. All right, cool. So we pray as we walk, but we wouldn't invite them to church, um, which a lot of people are like, why don't you invite them to church? And I'm like, well, because for us, it's about forming the relationship. And what's happened over time is that because we see the same people, then they, they ask, so what time's your church service? You know, you, you guys are from a church, what church are you from, right? And, and we allow that, that relationship to develop naturally rather than trying to force it. Um, in the suburban area, what we're doing, uh, and I just started this probably several months, or several months ago, right before the summer, because now that we're coming out of COVID, I started working there officially during COVID. Um, we actually decided to form a team it's, we call it a meet your neighbor team. And we have contacted the different entities that are, are within a couple blocks of the church. So other churches, schools, funeral homes, those types of things that are around us. And, uh, and we've asked for connection with their leadership. And we said, hey, we want to ask you five questions. We want to ask you, what do you love about this community? What do you want to see happen here? And if you're familiar with what's called asset-based community development, those are kind of the first two questions you ask. Um, and then like, you know, what does it look like to care for your staff? Um, who's caring for your staff? And, uh, and then if there was a possibility of partnership, how can we partner? And so um, we, we do all of that. Uh, and we just actually had a meeting yesterday with a principal of the middle school and sat down with her and talked to her and, and uh, learned some really cool things about the school and, and what they need. Uh, and as we learn what's going on in the community and the needs, then we start praying as a congregation and saying, Lord, where would you have us go? What would you have us do? Um, so, but yeah, over the six, last six years, we've engaged the community in a lot of different ways. Um, I also had a Bible study in my house for a couple of years when we lived uh, downtown. We moved here about a year ago to the North Long Beach side. Um, and that was a community Bible study that was actually started by the community. And I just hosted it in my house. Uh, and it was for the gang members of the neighborhood that we lived in. And so, um, yeah. So Kevin, uh, Kevin had a question. I just want to make sure oh, you answered Kevin. CMC. Yes. Eric answered that in the chat, the cross-cultural ministry center at Concordia Irvine. Uh, so if you're not familiar, there are, um, I wanted, well, there's a couple that there's, I know of you, you can go to Fort Wayne seminary, you can go to St. Louis seminary, and then there's a non-residential kind of, uh, I call it a boutique seminary. Um, that forms mission pastors who are going to do missionary pastors who are looking to do new starts. Um, and that's through the CMC at Irvine. And that's a, it's a four-year program where you're on a four-year vicarage. Um, and it's, you actually get certified through St. Louis. And so we, Eric, myself, Dan, we all have what's called general calls, same as many, a lot of the guys on this, this uh, place who did the residential route. Um, and so we did the seminary experience. 
So Kyle, back to the back to the community stuff. Okay. I, I hear you saying we all the time. Yes. Um, one of the things I think that's sometimes a challenge for me, and I imagine for others, is how do you get other folks involved? It's one thing for the pastor to be out and getting to know people and uh, connecting in the community, but how do you get it to be a we where where your the people in your congregation are involved in that engaging the community? So what what I have learned um, is I am wired to meet people. My business test stuff say I'm a connector, right? So I I have no problem walking up to anybody and talking to them. I have no problem walking into any office and just knocking on a door and going, "Hey, you got five minutes? Let's talk." Um, and but I've also realized that when I do that, the relationships in the community lie with me. Um, and so if something was to ever happen to me, if the Lord was to call me home, if the Lord was to call me on. Um, or whatever, then I take the relationships with me and the church then kind of loses out. And so I've learned this through making that mistake, to be honest with you. Uh, first couple of years at the gathering, I was the one hitting the streets all the time. Um, and so we're, we're moving towards the we language and realizing that this is our mission. Um, uh, at the gathering, they say that we exist to connect hearts to Christ and restore neighbors to community. And so how do we do this together? That's where taking folks on prayer walks, uh, inviting folks to appointments that I've made. At Bethany Lutheran, uh, I, I actually formed a task force before I even went out with the knowledge of, hey guys, I'm gonna make these meetings, I'm gonna do these things, but I would love you to join me on that. And then I, and then I had to train them and equip them because I think for a lot of people meeting new folks, some, for some of us like me, it's like, hey, go meet all these people in the, in the, uh, out there, you know, in that room. Okay, cool. For other people, it's like, ah, you know, and so it's how do we train and equip our people and give them tools so that when they're in a room with, with somebody, you know, what are some questions they can ask? And that's where we've done some asset-based community development trainings, um, which is asking people, seeing, starting in communities with what's strong rather than what's wrong. Um, so having, trying to help people discover gifts of hand, hand, head, and heart, uh, and how do we work together for the, the good of the hood? Um, actually, Lutheran Hour Ministries, this little commercial, has put out a new uh, project called the Hopeful Neighborhood. So if you haven't um, seen that, you can look that up. That's in partnership with Barna. So that's actually a really great resource, and I'm not paid for them. Uh, and so <laughs> there's no affiliation, but it's a Lutheran resource. So. Uh, and they talk about some asset-based community development. So it's training some people to do that and then inviting them into the process. I will tell you that the number of people in the congregation versus the number of people who really want to engage in the community is, is vastly different. So you might have, you know, three, 400 people on a Sunday in worship, and you might have like four people who are willing to engage in the community with you. And I think that for some, you have the early adapters that are like, hey, let's do it. Let's get out there. And you have others that are like, let's just kind of wait and see. So then it's also preparing people in the congregation um, if and when new folks from the community are to come in. And sometimes it's even realizing that, hey, we have to start something completely new um, because God loved them. Our, our folks that are there on Sunday morning are great people. They love Jesus, um, but they may not be the most welcoming people on earth. 
and so especially when you're if the community around you looks vastly different and and is vastly different than the community that's worshiping and those are things you have to kind of work through and pray through and and wrestle with and just have honest conversation about to be honest with you yeah it, that, that that is a real challenge because when you've got people that come from different backgrounds and you put them together very often they'll just uh, sequester off into their own little groups you know um and I'll give you an example. So the the gathering, so I keep referring to gathering and, and Bethany. They're about five miles apart. They're both in the city of Long Beach. Bethany is in the suburbs. The gathering is in the heart of downtown, right? Um, so the gathering, the community that's around the gathering is predominantly Latino. Um, and Latino, the Latino culture, as we've learned, is, is very familial. Um, and with some familial cultures, it's not necessarily about the time the event starts, but it's, show, it's about showing up to the event, right? So if you say worship starts at 10, you might start worship at 10, but people may not come until 10, 15, 10, 20, 10, you know, and, and sometimes, and, and again, you have to understand the culture that's around you. Um, and so then, then you can't be like, well, you have to be here at 10, you know, because it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. So we joke sometimes about, Hey, are we starting at neighborhood time? Or are we starting on, uh, on, you know, at, at the original time, knowing that those two times are different, but not from a, not from a, a, talking down about the culture but just understanding that the, the church and the culture around us have two different ways of doing things and that's okay that's a beauty that actually is a beautiful thing but it's helping people become cross-cultural and understand that different cultures do things different ways when you talked about asset-based um community I, development yeah abc abcd right so, so you're discovering the resources that other entities other people in your community um, have that you can work together to make your community better how do you navigate those partnerships um, and you know what what happens when those partnerships people have different values how, how do you navigate all of that well and and you know yeah there's a lot dude man i could be unpacking all day um, part of it is, is is as you're in the community as you know, so i'm i'm given a broad brushstroke, I'll give a little bit specific um, and, and paint the picture. If you need me to point, I can point, but I'm a painter, not a pointer. So uh, in 2017, I was walking past a, uh, a, a store in our neighborhood and I heard rap music coming out of it. It happened to be a liquor store and it was Christian rap. So I walked in and I was like, dude, um, you, you realize you're playing Christian rap at a liquor store, right? And the dude was like, yeah, I know I'm, I'm Christian. And and I can't go to church, so this is how I worship. I'm like, all right, cool, cool, you know. And and uh, he goes, hey, you're a pastor. And I was like, how can you tell? Because I was wearing a collar. Um, and he was like, uh, and so and so we started talking. And long story short, is basically he had engaged a lot of the gang members in the community. And as a result of engaging the gang members, he was wanting to start a Bible study. And uh, and so I said, well, I tell you what, I you know, we ended up doing it in my house. So sitting down with all these gang members in my house for a couple of years, started to learn, and now I'm painting really quickly, but started to learn that there's a real need for, for, for folks coming home from uh, prison and, and wanting to get out of gangs for different type of entities and different type of resources, right? And so our church was like, well, hey, how can we do this? Because we're only one place. And so we started contacting and working with different nonprofits, uh, as well as businesses and, and such, and, and finding out a network to help integrate guys who are coming back from prison or guys who want to get out of gangs and, uh, and, and work on. And what we've done then is we've done uh, like job and resource fairs. We've done trainings for different 
uh, churches and such, and how to engage formerly incarcerated individuals. And, and we just kind of say, hey, we're not going to do worship together because I mean, we know that crosses the lines, but we can serve the community together and we can love people well. Um, so actually the sweatshirt that I'm wearing right now is Project Rebound. This is from Cal State Long Beach. It's one of the entities that we partner with um, when we do job and resource fairs that help to get formerly incarcerated into uh, schools, um, into college and you know, community college and, and universities so they can earn their degrees. Um, but I think that part of it is, is just knowing what you need to be your boundaries as a congregation. Um, so if you're like, hey, the, we're not going to cross the worship boundary, then don't invite folks to join you in, you know, in, in a group, big group worship towards whatever, you know, but seek to serve the neighborhood and build relationships. Does that answer your question, Todd? Yeah, it does. Ty, you had a question. Yeah, if you could go back to when you first got there, clearly you've got a congregation that was not outward looking, mm -hmm. inward looking and has been there a long time. So clearly that identity, that internal culture of who we are and how we do things was very much embedded. So can you talk a little bit about in the early stages, how you worked with the congregation? Did people leave? Did, what, did, did new people come in? Um, just give a little bit of color painting, if you will, on what that looked like and how you were able to shift it over what time period. Yeah, um, we're still shifting. <laughs> I mean, just to be completely honest, it's part of the, the reason for even throwing out the merger with Bethany. So when we when I first got there, I so they actually voted to replant. So they had a congregational meeting. They were working with Link in Los Angeles. They voted to replant. And so then that's when my call came. Um, and so I was installed on September 13th, 2015, and so I was installed, they came in, the congregation, the leaders, they all laid hands, you know, we prayed for me, we did communion. And then after communion, uh, Dominic, who was the link, at the time he was the link executive director came up and he actually closed the congregation. Um, so I joke and say that I closed the first church I pastored in 15 minutes. So it's gotta be a record somewhere. <laughs> um, and, and so then the, the following weekend when we did worship and I gotta admit, I did worship too quickly. Um, so I should have looked at it as more of a church plant with the replant scenario rather than just like, a, hey, we're going to shift from here to here. Um, but we started like replanting and we started worship in a different area of the congregation than the sanctuary at all. Um, so so dealing with that part of that, too, was the the we should have gone through and I, I you know, should have would have could have. These are all learning things, kind of a grieving process of, of celebrating uh, the, the past you know, they, they have a rich history in that community and, and ministry and mission. We got yearbooks and everything. We should have done some things of celebrating the past and just really kind of like almost had a party, um, but almost had a funeral for the past as we began to cast vision and move forward. And so we didn't do that. And so I've been the pains of childbirth over the last several years. And, and in some ways, uh, for some people dragging, for some people just kind of saying, hey, well, here's where we're going. And as a result, we've had some new people come who are, we really want to impact the community. We really want to learn what it is. Um, and we've had some people leave who are like, this isn't my church anymore. Um, and, and it's, you know, and I had to deal with that as a pastor because for a while, my identity was tied to the success or failure of the church. And so I was like, well, if people are leaving, it's because of me. And that means that I'm a failure of a person, which is a lie, right? rather than my identity being in Jesus and who he formed me to be. And this is his call. Um, so it's taken a lot of folks 
uh, a lot of time to pray. We do a lot of praying um, and we try to encourage folks to pray, not just prayer walks, but even in our own community about, all right, Jesus, what would you have us do? Where would you have us go? How would you have us do this? Um, and, and we look at failure, not as failure, but are opportunities from learning. This is something I was taught by Dominic, right? Is um, we actually, within the first couple of months I was there, um, we were like, hey, well, th- it was named First Lutheran Church. We were like, First Lutheran Church is closed. So we got to come up with a name for this new entity. And actually the way that, that a couple of us worked to form the name was uh, we actually went out in the community and asked them, so what do you think of this building over here? What, what, does this hap- what happens there? Right. And started collecting. And actually one of the, the former intentional interims who we talked to was like, well, you got a bunch of different community people gathering there. You might as well call it the Gathering Lutheran Church. And we're like, done. So we changed the name, the Gathering Lutheran Church. Well, one of the people on the board were like, well, I don't like the name. And we we're like, well, this is where we're going. We're moving forward, you know. And in a, in a board meeting, they just said, hey, you know what? I want to resign. I'm, I'm going to go find another church. I don't want to be here anymore. And they, they did. And they walked out. And, uh, and Dominic was there. And, you know, we all kind of paused for a second. And Dominic kind of looked around. And he goes, and what did we learn from this? And I was just like, what? And, uh, you know, because everybody's reeling in the emotion of what just happened. And, and, you know, and he's like, well, first let's pray. And so we prayed. And then he said, okay, let me ask again, what did we learn from this? What are, what are we learning as we move forward? And, uh, and so then it just becomes, how do we apply these lessons? Um, and so it, it's hard because on one hand, you're wanting to care for people and where they are. On the other hand, you're wanting to continue to move forward. Um, and so it's just, it's a balance. And sometimes you swing one side, sometimes you swing another. And it's but just if, admitting when you're wrong. Go, sorry. Tom. If, if the congregation was engaged with Link and, and then called you in the capacity that you're in, right. it, it sounded like, though, that there was some consensus at the leadership level that we can't yes. be what we were. Correct. We have to have the courage to be something else, whatever that might be. So there was some of that in place when you got there. Then, is that right? It was absolutely in place. And I think that, um, you know, that is one of those things that as a congregation, you know, I, I taught a class with the MTC and one of the gentlemen was there and he said, you know, I'm like the, I'm the only one who really wants to reach out in the community. And, um, and I said, you know, I, and I'm going to just be honest. And I, you know, what I might say might be wrong. And if it is, I apologize, but it's one of the realizations we have to come is I said, you, you might have to have the conversation with your congregation that, well, maybe we need to be okay with dying and we're just going to love each other. Well, and rather than dying, we're going to say, Hey, we're going to be a legacy congregation. So what kind of legacy are we going to leave? Because, and it's not like, it's not an indictment. It's not, you know, it's, it very is, hey, let's celebrate what God has done and what Jesus does. Celebrate Jesus, what Jesus is going to do as we leave this legacy. But we also understand that where we are right now is, is may not wanting to be changing. Um, but we do want to start something new. We just don't, aren't going to be the ones to start it, right? And so maybe that comes as a legacy. And that's kind of a hard conversation to have. Um, and it's a conversation we've had in this replanting process. It's how we've gotten to be where we are in this merging process because I, I a couple of years ago I came to the congregation and I said guys you know we're we're moving forward you guys voted to replant we're trying to replant but I know that a lot of you guys are really struggling so let's make a choice and here are our choices uh, we have a large property in downtown Long Beach and I said you know choice A is we do nothing 
we continue the path we are. We do Sunday morning worship. We do some prayer walks, but we're not really intentional about engaging the community. Um, I said, if we do that, looking at our numbers, we've got about three to five years left financially, and then we're, we're going to close. And so then we need to start now planning what we're going to do with that legacy because we don't want to lose this property in downtown Long Beach. I said, you know, the second thing we could do is we might be able to subdivide this property, sell half of it to um, housing's a big need in downtown. So sell half of it to a housing developer, use the other half and, and not change anything. Um, and that's the thing is even though they voted to replant, even though they know they should be in the community, um, and even though they called somebody to kind of help lead them in the community, it was very, it's very hard to kind of change old habits, if you will. Um, and so the second choice was, is that we sell half the property and we do nothing. And we now have a large pot of money that we can continue doing ministry. I said, but at that point too, I mean, some of you guys aren't getting any older or any younger. And, and so, you know, we'll probably live another 10, 15 years and then we got to figure out what's going to happen. I said, or the third thing is we do something radical. And, uh, you know, we've been talking Bethany, we've had a partnership with Bethany for a long time. Maybe we talk about merging with Bethany. We still sell part of our property and maybe we use part of this property for a community outreach, community center um, to really impact the community where we're at. And I have to give it to the congregation as much as they struggle with necessarily hitting the streets, that heart for mission and ministry is there. And they said, hey, we know that we probably won't be the ones doing it. Uh, we know that we're, we're, we're good with showing up Sunday, worshiping and supporting financially, whatever that looks like. Because part of it was we, we were having the financial support, but it wasn't the manpower. A lot of it was landing on my shoulders. Um, and, so, and so we want to do this. And so you know what? Let's be crazy. Let's be crazy for Jesus. And so they put up half the property for sale, and it's in a process of being sold right now. And we're in the process of having this conversation of what does it look like to do ministry together with Bethany down the street and merge. Um, knowing that they'll supply some of the manpower for reaching out in the community and then also looking at what are the different ways that we can do that. So, but those are, I got to tell you, I mean, that's five years of relationship building with the congregation. It's five years of tough and honest conversations at the same time, engaging the community around us to say like, so what would this look like? How do we do this? What is, what are the assets in the community? And what are the needs? Yeah, I think that's really wise. Um, Probably, I mean, if you, if you look through history, the majority of congregations that have existed don't exist anymore. Um, and there's a, a time for a congregation to recognize when they need to pivot. The, the church still exists because it's Jesus church, but um, there's times that, that a congregation needs to recognize that they're no longer the people that can serve this place. And then the Lord needs to raise something else up from there and to do that intentionally, rather than just to find out one day you don't have enough money and you're, you're going bankrupt is probably a lot uh, healthier. Um, so appreciate you sharing that. Um, there was a question here, David, did you want to ask a question there? He just used the phrase um, cross the line when we worship together. It was several minutes ago. But uh, I'm curious, was he referring to synodical lines? Do you recall uh, what you were saying, Kyle, at that point, crossing yeah, lines yeah, if you yeah. worship together? Yeah, and that's, and that's, uh, that those are to be, yeah, those are synodical lines. Um, okay. So like, for instance, you know, we have an Episcopal church two blocks away from us that we've done, you know, some work with serving formerly incarcerated individuals. Um, and, you know, because of our, our differing views of the sacraments, our differing doctrinal things, 
Um, we just kind of say, hey, we'll we'll play in this area together, but we we won't play in this area so that nobody kind of gets in trouble, you know, with the synodical um, entities. And and we you know we want to honor we want to honor uh, the entities that have called us and not put them. You know, it's not so much me getting in trouble, but it, it might be uh, the church itself gets in trouble. Um, so, yeah, and you just have to be kind of, you have to be, was it wise as serpents and innocent as doves? And so just kind of figuring out what is it we can do together and, and how do we work moving forward? Yeah, I, I heard that quote before. Um, <laughs> I've read that. I've read that somewhere. I came somewhere. across that somewhere. I don't remember where it was. Dan, Dan had a question. I don't know if I want Dan's question, though. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, good to see you, brother. Look good, good to see you, Dan. Um, so a couple things. So one of the things that stuck out to me is, first of all, I'm running to, into kind of a similar situation with my church. And so they've, they're kind of coming alongside as we're doing this, we're exploring this potential to do a church plant aside of Zion. And Zion then being kind of this custodial ministry uh, that, uh, that you hang on to. Um, one of the things, though, that, that's difficult for, for many folks that I see is that uh, having some sort of measurables for what you're doing, like the old measurables of, of measuring uh, butts in the seats and bucks in the plate, right, is kind of something people are stuck on. And I recently read this book by Steve Pike. Are you familiar with him at all? I'm not. No. So Steve Pike um, actually developed uh, measurable criteria for the missional pastor. Um oh. And so his criteria are just give you a couple examples. And I could put the link in here as well. Um, but like, uh, for example, measuring how many people um, are aware of you in the community in a positive way. That's one measurable. Um, and uh, another thing is how many connections, how many positive connections have you made in the community who, uh, who know you know their name? And then the, the second level is relationships who know you know their name and also you're praying for them regularly. Um, and then redemptive conversations. How many redemptive conversations? Knowing you, Kyle, I'm sure you get in a bunch. Uh, you just can't help yourself. That's good. Um, and then uh, like as far as team members, you know, team members who accomplish these same things as well and measuring those things, he's actually developed a calculator to determine how many, uh, you know, the awareness category, relationship category, that sort of stuff would theoretically produce disciple makers within your congregation. So how many disciple makers would you need to produce to make this many connections? It's kind of fascinating. So um, I, I love it. I, I mean, and, and I don't disagree. I mean, I would love the link and, and my wife's not going to like you because it means I'm buying another book. Um, but uh, I, I think that that's the, the realization is that we ha you have to measure your, your success um, by community impact, right? I mean, there's this guy that we all might know. His name is Paul. Um, you know, and he, he wrote some things and, uh, and one of the things he, he wrote, he was like, you know, he says, Hey, you know, I planted Apollos watered, but God made it grow. And, uh, and if you've ever, you know, grown anything and, and seen anything, you know, it takes time and it takes, you know, watering, it takes fertilization, it takes, you know, and, and with fertilization, that means there's a lot of stuff that, uh, sometimes, you know, comes up as well. And so I, I think that the, the reality is that you have to be in it for the long haul. And uh, a lot of times the old planting measure was, okay, you got three years, right? Three years would be self-sustainable. We'll fund you for three years and then we're out. Um, and, and the reality is that, especially depending on where you're planting, if you're meeting uh, people who are not yet Christians or people who 
you know, have never known about Christianity, which actually is becoming more and more, um, it's going to be a lot more than three years to be self-sustaining. And so that's where even the legacy congregation that, that we were talking about with Ty a little bit earlier, um, you know, maybe that's a legacy they can lead is say, hey, we're going to support this church planner over the next 15, 20 years. We measure or we're learning to measure success by through relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and early on in the replant, we had to have a discussion of why aren't those, and I hate this term, by the way, why aren't those people coming in here for worship? Um, and, and I said, well, when are you going to be in the community with those people? Um, because people don't care what you know or who you know until they know you care. And so, and caring takes time. And we were working in a community that experienced a lot of drive-bys and I'm not talking about gangs, although those were there too. I'm talking about churches that love to just drive into the neighborhood, shoot it up with love and get out. And so what had happened and what we learned has happened is that, uh, as a result of that, you had people that didn't trust churches and didn't trust, you know, especially churches and guys that look like me, because I would, you know, people look like me, we'd come into a neighborhood, we would serve, we'd hand out clothes, we'd give away food, whatever, and then we'd be out to the point that I literally went and met this one kid um, who changed my life in ministry because it was early on. I stuck my hand out to introduce myself and he looked at me and because it's being recorded, I will uh, edit what he said, but he said, who the F for you? Just another white guy to come in here and tell me Jesus loves me and leave. Now, why would that guy ever come to my church? Because his experience mm-hmm. with churches have always been, hey, Jesus loves you, but I'm out. And so it takes time to build relationships. It takes time to cro- build those bridges. Um, for some of us, our churches, you know, when we were out asking the community, what did you think about this church? Or what did you think about this building? Realize that some of the things that happened 10, 15, 20 years ago had a very negative impact on the, on the neighborhood. And so you have to kind of work with the community and love the community in such a way that you understand that they may never set foot in your church, but we're still going to find opportunities to tell them about Jesus. How do we have, you know, you, so your redemptive conversations. Um, this morning I was telling uh, Todd and Mike, before we, we started on the call, I, I joked and said that sometimes I'm Uber for uh, some of the kids in the neighborhood, meaning I'm hood Uber. Um, and it's, these are kids that they can't afford to, you know, pay an Uber, but they don't have a car and they need to get somewhere. And so, I get, I have this one kid who consistently, consistently, like, you know, once a week, Hey pastor, you know, and I'm like, Hey, what's up? And so we go back and forth and sure enough, Hey, can you give me a ride to East LA? Um, which if you're familiar with the LA area, East LA is kind of where, you know, American me and, and gangster movies and stuff like that from the LA, that's where they're made. And so he's like, Hey, basically can you take me in the heart of gang country? Cause I want to go, you know, do whatever. And I'm like, sure, man. Cause I know that every time we get in that car, he's going to ask me something else. And sure enough, he gets get in the car today and he said, Hey, did you feel that earthquake last night? And I was like, dude, I was walking, but everybody else around me felt it. And he goes, so, so is Jesus coming back then? Cause that's like signs in the end times. Right. And so it was able to, we were able to talk about that, you know, talk about what does this mean? What does this look like? And I was, I was saying like, Hey man, I'm going to live my every, every life. Like Jesus is coming back tomorrow, knowing that I'm forgiven and saved. And, and I want to honor and glorify him. You know, I said, but, you know, I know we know some of the homies that, you know, they're like, oh, one day, one day, you know, and they're going to get caught with a, you know, with a gun in their hand and dope in the other and be like, uh, and Jesus is still going to say, hey, you know what, I love you. But, um, but, you know, talking through that a little bit. And so we get to have those redemptive conversations um, as a result of those relationships. But he's never been to church and he'll probably never come to church. Yeah. And, and folks in our church and in both at Bethany and at the gathering know and realize that 
um, we, some of these folks in the community may never set foot in the church. So we have to take the church to them. Uh, now that does have implications when you have salaries and buildings and budgets. And, and so you have to kind of think about like, okay, so how are we, you know, are there ways we're going to do some creative stuff or are there ways that we can ask people to give legacy gifts? Do we form an endowment? Um, how do we strategically think about the future? Do we sell a portion of our property because we don't need all our property anymore um, and sell it to something that's going to bless the community rather than, you know, take away from the community? I don't want to cut you off, but oh, I, we're, we're pushing up towards the end of time and Eric sorry. had a question. I don't want to lose his question. That's good stuff, but... <laughs> Well, that's a good segue. Uh, Kyle, you're talking about, you know, assets with your community building. And so I was kind of wondering um, if you, Dietrich, thank you very much. If, uh, if you, what's the assets of like a local church? And you can talk specifically about yours, but as we think, but what's the assets in our congregations to connecting? And then maybe even from like some of our thoughts, world views, theological views that you found to be assets for you as you engage the community all right i looked at i just looked at the time i because i live in the neighborhood i don't look at time sorry i just looked at the time all right i will try to answer this question as quickly as i can eric <laughs> so um for the downtown church part of the asset is just having a building right place to meet so we host uh, naaa you know uh, crystal meth anonymous so those are all anonymous groups uh you know how do we how do we open our doors and support and and um, we have a basketball, we have a gym. So the community uses our gym to play basketball. And these are all ways that we use our church building um, that we have as an asset to the community to be more of a community center. Um, in at Bethany, like yesterday, we met with the principal and they, um, she was like, hey, we need volunteers. And we've got, we're like, hey, we got a bunch of worshipers over here. And so they're looking for a place to volunteer. Um, and so now it's just training and equipping our, you know, our volunteers to be able to help, uh, to volunteer with the staff, not so much the students, but just to listen to the staff as they've gone through traumatic things. And then theologically, I mean, dude, our two things. One is, is you know, just justification, man, our gospel and justification, the doctrine of justification is like, that is money in the bank. And especially in a world where a lot of people live under guilt and live under the law and live with brokenness. Um, and just to be like, hey, you are loved, you are forgiven, you are of value because of what Christ has done and not because of what you have done. Um, and so I think that that is huge. We have a Latino congregation and, and uh, not, to, not to church bang, but we have a lot of Catholics around us who charge for baptism. Um, and I've learned that uh, if you just put a big sign that says free baptisms, you actually get a lot of people and you get to baptize. So we, there was one, one Sunday morning, I did like eight baptisms of community folks just because I was offering it for free. Um, and so, you know, looking at ways that are, and that's getting to know, but that's getting to know your community. That's actually taking walks. It's learning, it's mapping, it's, you know, learning what's in the community and how the people are wired to, to figure out how do we best engage with that? Um, you know, so that was the shortest I can answer that question. Cool. <laughs> Great job, Kyle. And, uh, Todd, do you want to add anything else to wrap up before I, I close this up for today? No, I thought that I thought that was great. Thanks, Kyle. I wish we had about three hours to be with you, but I wish we did too. Uh, Todd, thanks for leading this. Uh, Todd, one of our cultivators, Todd Rayski. Um, uh, Kyle, we want to thank you for being on the call with us today. It's just been a blessing. You so many encouraging things about how we can think 
about connecting with the community, about leaving a legacy, about restarting when necessary, uh, just changing our mindset to realizing that people in the community outside of our church, uh, they have an importance in our ministry and that the folks inside I need to recognize that. It's just been a blessing and we're, we're so glad to have you with us. I, I want to let everybody know on the call, and I've said this before, I'll say it again. If you're connected on this call, you're a part of the network and uh, we want to be here to serve you and support you. And so our cultivators are there to do that. And on this call, uh, not only do you have Todd Rayski, uh, but you also have uh, Ty Schomer and Garrett Knudsen and uh, Dan Hughes and myself. We're all here uh, to help and be a support to you. So reach out to any of us if you want to talk over an idea for a new start. If you want to just uh, continue conversation about what Kyle's been talking about today. Now, this is all going to be recorded uh, as of Monday. It'll be up on the Now Start website. So feel free to pass this on to others. Tell people you were on this call and they can listen to this at any time and, and it'll connect them into this network and, and help keep this mission movement moving forward. Uh, we have one minute left. I'm going to turn it over to Todd and just let you pray us out and pray for Kyle and his ministry. Okay, we'll do that. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you. Thank you for the chance to talk and to learn and to think about how we can touch and, and reach into our communities to um, get outside of ourselves. And Father, I also pray for your blessing on Kyle as he reaches out in Long Beach and as he navigates the, the challenge of his two congregations. I pray that each and every day that you'll give him strength, courage, and extra dose of your spirit, that he can um, communicate your love, not only in the community, but also to those folks that he's been called to in those two congregations. We put him into your almighty hands and ask for your blessing on each person that's here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Blessings, everybody. The next Now Start call will be, uh, I believe, the third Saturday of November, uh, same time, 11 o'clock. And we'll look forward to, to talking with you there. So have a good day, everybody. You just listened to the Now Leading Podcast, hosted by the Northwest District LCMS. Leadership conversations from a Lutheran point of view for Christian leaders of all kinds. Take a moment after this podcast. And with everything you've just heard in mind, consider at least one action you will take. Then go and make it happen.